0: I have in my notes to say happy Thanksgiving but I feel like I should say happy Merry Christmas Merry Christmas Merry Christmas everybody have a good Thanksgiving yep this was one of the sweeter Thanksgivings for me Um, last year we had COVID disruptions still none of that this year it was nice to be home and not have to travel too much and everything was spread out we just got to spend good time with family and so it's been really sweet. Did you guys get your Christmas decorations all done? Yeah? Yeah? No? No? When I first became a believer in high school, uh, the commercialization of Christmas made me sick. And I hated Christmas decorations and all the things for a minute. And then I moved to Bloomington, where the whole city is a bunch of Scrooges and curmudgeons who... Are ba humbugs and they don't decorate for anything and they hate Christmas altogether. And so now I want all the Christmas lights on all the houses and all the places. It's pretty fun. Um, There's a beautiful thing to me about Christmas time, even the commercialization of it. That speaks to the power of what Jesus has done. The prophets, the psalmists talk about a day when the nations would offer to Jesus feigned praise lip service. Because his rule would expand so much, everyone would have to at least acknowledge what he's done. And that's what I see every Christmas time. And that is awesome and fun. I see a world that is fighting for all its rebellion to deny Jesus and yet still has to pay lip service to the King. So one of my favorite things is to walk through a Walmart and hear Pagans singing songs to Jesus, over the loudspeakers. It's beautiful. It reminds me that Jesus has once had such dominion over the Western world that everyone who hates him still has to tip their hat to him. And it reminds me that if Jesus has done it once, he can do it again. It's kind of punk rock. So I learned to love Advent the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And maybe you're still a Christmas curmudgeon like me. That's fine. You're welcome here. I get it. But look at this. I, like I came in this morning and the decorations and they were singing Christmas music and I put a spring in my step. And is Megan in here? She's in the nursery. She did the decorations and things. So it's awesome. Yay, Megan. A couple things about how we're gonna do Advent this year. We're having Advent readings, obviously, at the start of the services, that's new. The kids are gonna be doing a thing in this service the Sunday before Christmas, that's new. Uh, We'll see how that goes. We'll see if we can make that a tradition, if that works or not, well, we'll just figure it out. But I'm excited about that. They've been working hard for how long now? Like six months? Yeah, since August, that's like six months ago, right? Feels like it. And then I think... The Sunday after Christmas, we're not going to have childcare. Is that right? The 26th. So we'll worship on the 26th, the day after Christmas, but we won't have childcare because we're just concerned about workers and things like that. So it'll be more like a couple weeks ago or a month ago or whatever, when we had all the kids in the service and everything was pitched down for the kids. So that should be pretty sweet too. So that's my advertisement for the most wonderful time of the year. Um, Let me also say that as we move into the Christmas season, if you have ideas for ways to love our neighbors or for outreach or service opportunities, come and talk to me or to Ben or somebody and let us know. We're here for it. We just don't actually know what's going on and what's good, okay? So you got to help us figure it out. I wish we could carry all nursing homes, the times we live in. Today's passage doesn't have uh, any more to do with Christmas than anything else we've studied in Philippians. Um, But every passage, every passage has to do with Christmas, right? It's all Christmas. Uh, It does have to do with a difficult subject, though. It's the kind of passage that gets avoided by some. It gets used by others to prove a theological point without balance. And it's Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. That's where we're at today. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning in awe of what you've done for us in sending your son to be born as a baby, to live, to suffer, to die on our behalf, bearing our sins on his shoulders. As our minds are drawn to his birth, we think about the children that you've given to us, especially the new ones this past year. We thank you again for Matthew and for Theo. we thank you for the little ones that Heather and Chris are carrying. Pray that you would be with them, that you would protect them in their mother's wombs, that you give Heather and Chris patience and faith as they wait for their babies to be born. We also pray that you would end the evil practice of murdering children in their mother's wombs. I pray that you'd make us faithful witnesses who love the weak and the oppressed among us, the voiceless. And we pray for those in our midst here this morning who have blood on their hands from things they've done or encouraged that you administer to their consciences, that you'd wash them in the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the season of gratitude that we're in the opportunities that we have to and have had to reflect on your mercies to us. Thank you for this church, for the new friendships, for the encouragements, for the joy and strength that I've been given from this body. I pray that you would cause us to continue to grow together in love and unity, that we may be, as you've been commanding us from Philippians, firm in one spirit, having the same mind and the same love, considering others better than ourselves, walking in the way of Jesus. Help us now as we come to your word. Give us humble hearts and willing hands to hear, to believe, and to obey everything that you command. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first word of the passage is, therefore. And now you have to do your part. What's the therefore? therefore. Okay, what is it, therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? This therefore is continuing to build on everything that's come before. All the way back to chapter 1, verse 27, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. No matter what happens, behave, live as citizens of the gospel. You have enemies outside that are attacking you, stand firm. Strive side by side like soldiers. There is a bunch of retired soldiers. Stand side by by side. Stand firm. One spirit, one mind, unified. Don't be divided from within either. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord of one mind over and over again through the beginning of chapter two, right? Don't do anything from rivalry or conceit. Don't be proud. Don't be divisive. Be humble. Consider others as better than yourselves. Be like Jesus. Have his mind. He's God, the eternal son of God. God of God, light of light, eternal. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Son of the father, begotten, not created. Come, let us adore him. Right? So come, all you faithful. We sang lines like this all morning long in both of the songs that we sang, right? I wish I could call them up right away, but I can't. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. It's a great one that I was trying to remember from Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I forgot it, it's gone. Come to earth to taste our sadness, he whose glories knew no end. Jesus didn't hesitate to be made the lowest of all. Conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. The Apostles' Creed. Philippians 2. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this mind among yourselves. Consider others as better than you. Be humble. The mighty maker became a baby and lived and suffered. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and in due time, he will raise you up. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of the father. Jesus' name is confessed everywhere. He is the Lord. You see it in this life here among the believing in Walmart by Mariah Carey or somebody over the by Frank Sinatra, right? In this life and certainly in the next, in truth indeed. Everyone in heaven on earth and under the earth will confess that he is Lord because of all of that, therefore, therefore, my beloved. Again, the affection between the Apostle Paul and this church. Terms of endearment, my beloved. As you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Okay, what's he doing? As you've always obeyed, now, not only is in my presence, but also in my absence, what is he? He's a father, right? As you've always obeyed, is his father talking to his kids, and a father wants his kids to obey him when daddy's not watching, right? Whether he's there or not. Why do dads do that? Why do dads want that? Why do parents want that? We want to puppeteer and control you every waking moment. What we actually want is for our kids to be mature, right? To not have to have dad standing over you so that you do the right thing. So you learn to thrive on your own. A lot of the churches, as soon as the Apostle Paul was gone, things went bad, right? Like walked out the door and came home and there's, you know... Kids bleeding and crying over here, and water or milk all over the floor over there, and there's a mess everywhere. And that's like what happened at Corinth all the time. But the goal is maturity. Kid who's always disobeying dad as soon as dad turns around can't be trusted. We want to have confidence that you're going to do the right thing because one day, dad's not going to be around. One day, mom's not going to be around. Mom and dad want you to be mature, godly, wise, safe, and strong. They want to see that they can trust you, that it's okay. They can die and you'll be okay. One day, mom and dad aren't going to be around. Paul knows it might not be long. He might not be around much longer. He needs it to be okay. If you have your Bibles and look at what comes next in the passage, the passage we'll move to next week. It says, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, dot, 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 holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. He's a dad who knows that things may be coming to an end. He wants when he stands before Jesus to look at his children and be proud of them. So this is a plea to maturity. To own the things they've been taught. To embrace the things they've been taught. Whether or not they see dad again. The goal for this church, for all of us, is that we would be mature in the faith. Same as a goal with every parent here with their kids. We want you to grow up into maturity. So you don't need mom and dad holding your hand. You can be trusted. You'll do what's right. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. He wants this church to make it. Here's the substance of today's passage. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I want to talk about three things so we can wrap our heads around this passage, okay? It's a heady passage, it has to do with God's agency, God's role, God's work in our lives and our agency, our work, and what even is salvation? If it's something to be worked out, what does that mean? Okay, so I wanna talk about those three things, salvation, God's work, and our work, okay? Simple enough. First, salvation. We're going to get a little theological here. Hang with me as we do. This is important. Getting it right makes all the difference. If we confuse these things, we get ourselves into trouble. We're tempted to an easy believism kind of salvation, where it's just like, well, if I pray a prayer, I'm good. I don't have to, that's it. I live how I want, do what I want. And we're tempted to a kind of legalistic, I have to earn my salvation, I have to get it right, or else Jesus doesn't love me. Neither of those things are true. Neither of those things are good. The Bible speaks of salvation, of being saved in three different ways. You can turn to passages in the New Testament that talk about how you have been past tense saved, You can also turn to passages in the New Testament where you are present tense, being saved. And you can turn to passages in the Bible where you are future tense, you will be saved. All three are true. Those three ways of speaking about our salvation correspond to three things that comprise the whole of salvation. The first is called justification. I have been saved from the guilt and condemnation of sin. I have trusted Jesus in what he's done. And I have been saved from the guilt and condemnation of sin. Past tense, done, complete. Completed on the cross, embraced by me by faith. God looks at me and sees me as righteous. Not in and of myself, but because of what Jesus has done. I have been saved from the guilt and condemnation of my sin. Past tense, justification. I am being saved from the power of sin in my life. Sanctification, the process of growing to be more and more like Jesus throughout our entire lives. The process of putting our sin to death, conforming our, the reality of how God sees us, conforming our lives now to that reality conforming our lives to God's commands by the power of God at at work in us through his Holy Spirit. I am being saved. I have been saved from the guilt and condemnation of sin. I am being saved from its power in my life. God is breaking its power. I am growing. I'm not as angry as I once was. I'm not as lustful as I once was. I'm growing. I'm changing. I'm being transformed. I love people better than I am. I'm more humble. I feel more proud, but also look at what God's done. Look at what God's doing. I'm being saved from myself. I'm being saved. The third is I will be saved from the presence of sin at all. Glorification. One day I will be with Jesus and I will be free of all of it. The work will be done. I, I've been saved. I was saved from the guilt and power of sin. I'm being saved from the power of sin. And I will be freed, saved from the presence of sin in my life. Justification, sanctification, glorification. All of it is our salvation. Salvation is all of it. The Bible will speak of salvation and being saved in any of those three terms at any given time. It's important for us to understand those distinctions. Because if we start thinking about being saved as being free from guilt and condemnation, then we got to work really hard and it'll never be done. We get tripped up. We think of have been saved as everything else, and well, well, I just pray a prayer and I'm good. I don't have to do anything else. It's all good. But that's not the way it works. Everyone who has been saved is being saved. Everyone who has been justified is being sanctified, is growing in godly, godliness. You see it. You can see the change, the transformation. Sometimes it looks and feels small. But there's growth. There's improvement. I am not what I once was. And by God's grace, tomorrow I won't be, or maybe, maybe tomorrow I'll take a step back, but on the whole, I'm moving in a direction and the direction is towards Jesus. Justification, I've been saved. Sanctification, I'm being saved. Glorification, I will be saved. If you've been saved, you're being saved. It can be seen. It's called holiness, godliness, growth, progress. Philippians 1:6 what we talked about several weeks ago he who began a good work in you will oh no bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ he who began it will complete it that salvation is yours in Christ it's your own it's God's gift to you work out your salvation work out your own salvation it's yours You have it. Work out your own salvation. You didn't earn it. You didn't create it. You're not producing it, but you are working it out. You're working out now the reality of what God has declared to you you to be and what you will become. You're bringing your life under the rule and reign of Jesus, every part of it, every corner of your life, nothing off limits. Work out your own salvation. Every aspect of you needs to be renewed and transformed, brought under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. You must do the work of working that out. But if your desires are being transformed, if your will is being conformed to his will, if it's changing, if you're becoming more like Jesus, call it a mystery, call it a paradox, call it whatever you want. But it is because God is at work in you. God is at work in you to will and to work his own good pleasure. Have you ever stopped and asked, why why do I care about the things of God? Really? Do you really care about the things of God? How did that happen? Were you born this way? Were you always like this? When did, how did something happen, Right? Something happened and you started asking questions you'd never asked before. Something happened, you started facing things you'd never faced before. Things in yourself, about yourself, your sin, things outside yourself, good, evil, right, wrong, God, judgment, guilt, eternity, meaning, purpose, why, the why of it all, why? You did the question asking, right? Where'd that impetus come from? Where did the impulse come from? Where did it start? What led you here? What led you to the conviction that this book has answers? The words of life. Maybe there was an event, some outside thing. Maybe there was a girl or a boy or a death. Maybe you hit rock bottom. Whatever it was, ostensibly, whatever it seemed to be, it was God. It was the living God who made heaven and earth. It was God at work in you to will and to do his own good pleasure. And that is why Paul says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you. If you're a saint in Christ Jesus, God himself is at work in you. He started something. He's doing something. He's going to complete that something. And that's why you're here. Fear and trembling. It's not, not something that's very common in our churches today, is it? It's something that we'd like to leave behind. We want grace. We want the good stuff. Grace without fear and trembling is cheap. It's not dealing honestly with ourselves. It's not dealing honestly with God. It's not dealing honestly with sin because sin is real and the holiness of God is real. We're not dealing with God himself, with the power of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. And so we cheat ourselves by not dealing with sin, of the joy and goodness of grace by cheapening it. Philippians is the epistle of joy. And there's a reason why in the dead center of it, there's fear and trembling. And the reason is because there's nothing more wonderful than having looked into the abyss of your own sin and guilt and the distance between you and a holy God and finding that God himself has closed the gap. You could never make it to him, but he stooped down to you. Jesus did not abhor the virgin's womb or the cross. Came to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories knew no end. He stoops to us in our weakness. He didn't despise Mary's womb. He didn't despise the stable. He didn't despise the manger. He didn't despise the shepherds. He didn't despise Nazareth. He didn't despise the poor and the blind and the lame. He didn't despise the harlots and the tax collectors. He didn't despise the cross. He came for you. And if you don't see your sin and feel the weight of the holy God and the disparity between it, none of that is precious the way it should be precious. None of it is beautiful the way it should be beautiful. None of it will give you the real deep lasting joy in the face of all the sadness and brokenness and pain and sorrow and sin of this world. Unless you look at it all honestly and you look at the Holy One as He is and say, There is no hope except that He has done it. He's done it. And I would have never even come to Him except that He has done it. He began a good work in me, He is at work in me now to will and to do his own good pleasure, he will complete the work and praise God because I am weak and small and I can't do it myself. There's hope in that. There's strength in that. So if you find in yourself a spark of good and godly desires, a spark of hatred for your own sin, take heart, take courage, and tremble. Because it is God who's at work in you. It's humbling, a little frightening, and wonderful, beautiful. God is at work in you for his own good pleasure because it pleases him to save. Because he wants to. He wants to save you from sin's guilt, but the death, the guilt, and the condemnation, he wants to save you from its power in your life. No matter what you're struggling with and what you have struggled with, and He intends to save you from its presence, it's gone. It will be no more. It will be no more. If you want to be free of sin at all, that's God's work in you. When you hear God's commands, how do you respond? It's not always joyful enthusiasm, right? It is always joyful enthusiasm. It's not always joyful enthusiasm, right? And there's the nod. (laughs) It's hard. It's painful. It can be offensive. It involves dying to ourselves. Our old desires, our old ways of thinking and feeling. But I didn't say, how do you react? I said, how do you respond? Do you agree with God that God is right? Do you agree that he's right? Do you move his direction as best as you can, no matter how feebly? That is God's work in you as you work out your own salvation. So take heart, take courage. It's hard. It's hard work. Facing up against your sin, looking at yourself, looking at the places you fall short, looking at the places where you keep failing, it's hard. But God himself is at work. What God starts, God finishes and he will surely do it. Let's pray.